You sounded so good today. I, I invite you to, uh, to take a risk and come sit in the first or second row because that's where I sat today and to feel your voices roll right over the top of me was thrilling. It was so refreshing. Thank you for singing to the Lord this morning. I, and I mean that. Just, just try that sometime. It's really wonderful. Um, if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to Hebrews. We're entering into chapter 9 today. So 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Five chapters and four years to go, okay? <laughs> I do go slow. But today we're going to take a significant hunk out of chapter 9. And uh, we'll have our new pastor long before four years, won't we? Amen. Um, chapter 9 and verses 1 through 14. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, and in its first room was the lampstand. The table and the consecrated bread... This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings and external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But, what a big little word that is, huh? Isn't that wonderful? But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Amen, amen, and amen to that. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, having studied this all week, 
the word conscience is mentioned twice in this passage. Okay, once in verse 9 and once in verse 14. And that gave me the direction for the title of this message. And the title of this message this morning is The Power of a Clear Conscience. The power, and when I say power, I mean power, and it goes all the way to the 14th verse. The power of a clear conscience. The conscience is a powerful thing. It is very, very powerful in good ways, and it can be in very negative ways. We're going to talk about those this morning. It's interesting that after I did my study, and I like to do my study and get my title and my outline and all of that before I go to anybody else. I, I find if I go to commentators and scholars and authors, I tend to copy a lot more if I do that before my own study. But after I did my study, I, I, I ran across a book called The Power um, of a Clear Conscience. It's written by Erwin Lutzer. You may have heard of him. He's written one of my favorite books called Failure, the Backdoor to Success. I love that title, and I love that book. Anyway, he wrote a book called... He was the pastor of Moody Church for 40 years. I think he's still there. Anyway, he uh, wrote this book called The Power of a Clear Conscience, and I want to quote from it. He says, In Hamlet, Shakespeare wrote, Conscious Conscience does make cowards of us all. How true. It doesn't matter what your background is and what your religious tradition you were brought up in or whether you were raised in a non-religious home. I can assure you that you have at times violated your conscience. Our conscience sits in judgment on all our actions and says, Aha! You have violated what you know to be right. You ever have that feeling? I think we all have. And he shares a story. He says, in 1968, English businessman Donald Crowhurst veered off course in the Golden Globe yacht race around the world, but evidently attempted to steal victory by lying low on the coast of South America and waiting to rejoin his competitors when they circled back around. He sent false radio reports of his progress and might have fooled the world had not his deceit riddled him with guilt. Crowhurst suspected that his hoax would be discovered, so he jumped overboard and drowned himself. He left his records intact, which exposed his deception so that all of the world could see that he had planned to win the race by cheating. It appeared as though he wanted to die, admitting to what he had done and clearing his conscience as best he could. Our conscience has power to bless us or condemn us. It can drive us to do great ventures for God, and I'm really going to share a lot about that at the end of the message. Or it can lead us to anger, sleepless nights, and an unending cycle of despair. I've been there too. This internal voice will not be satisfied with our rationalizations. What's the conscience? The word itself comes from two words, con, which means with, and science, which means knowledge. Conscience is knowledge along with us, or more specifically, the knowledge we carry within us. And it's a powerful thing. That's Lutzer's definition. I came up with a more specific one that I think fits me better anyway. The conscience is mentioned here in 
verse 9 and verse 14. Uh, is our God-given capacity for right and for wrong? It's the, when that voice in you says, that's wrong. That's what the conscience is. That God-given capacity to tell us what's wrong and what's right. And now, the Bible says a lot of things can happen to our conscience. All kinds of different things can happen to our conscience. In Timothy, we're to, I'm not sure if it's First or Second Timothy. I didn't look it up, but I know it's there. It says our conscience can be seared. Seared. It can be corrupted. It can be riddled with guilt from our past. You look at David and what he said in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. His conscience is screaming. Okay? The conscience also can be cleared and cleansed, as we'll see today. I think one very difficult thing that entered this world regarding our conscience is the invention or the occurrence of a guilty conscience, as I've already talked about. One of the most powerful forces, as I'm going to share with you in a moment, on planet Earth is a guilty, guilty conscience. It all started with who? Who did the guilty conscience start with? Adam and Eve, first parents. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? As if God didn't know, right? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Yeah, who told them they were naked? Well, God asked them that question, but he knew the answer. The, their conscience that came into being through their sin and the rebellion, and it continues to this very day. And we all have one. And we all violate it sometimes before we were Christians and after we're Christians, okay? And as we've already talked about, the, 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 the conscience can have dev devastating consequences if not remedied. And I mean from the unbeliever and also people like you and I who know Christ. It can have devastating consequences if our conscience is not resolved because you can try and I could try to bury something, but if it's not taken care of and resolved, even as a believer, consequences can be very detrimental to our life. Let me, let me read a list here. Just, just, just a grocery list before we get into the passage. A guilty conscience not properly dealt with can cripple or limit us or even torment us, haunt us, shout at us, remind us, that we're not fit for God's presence. It can keep us in bondage to the past. It can make us try to earn favor with God, even though we're already born again, blood-bought child, children of God. It can make us live our Christianity through works or legalism or self-denial. It can keep us from knowing and experiencing God's love and from serving Him and serving other people freely. It can greatly hinder our relationships. It can hinder relationships in a marriage uh, between parent and child and family. 
It can uh, create all kinds of unhealthy behaviors, substance abuse, addictions, mistreating other people. And the person doing the mistreating doesn't quite know why, and neither does the person being mistreated. But sometimes it goes back to an unresolved conscience. It can cause us to rationalize and suppress wrong behavior. It causes us, or can cause us, to unfairly blame other people. All you got to do is look at Adam. It can cause us to play the victim, to cover our shame and guilt somehow through some kind of success or pleasure or superiority or even ministry. Even ministry. For the Christians here at this church in Italy, it can tempt them back to the false security and importance of legalism and dead religious traditions and rituals. So that's just a grocery list of what a guilty, unresolved conscience can do. Okay? Satan loves to take advantage of the unbeliever and of the believer with a guilty conscience and to continue to remind us of our sins, failures, blunders, and regrets in our past. could be the past hour or years past. He loves to remind us through a guilty conscience that we stand guilty before God and to enslave us with that and take away our joy. But, this is the but part that I like. God did something wonderful for the lost. He did something wonderful for us as Christians. He gave us a way to live with a clear conscience, without slavish fear toward God, both one time permanently through salvation and day by day, minute by minute as believers in Christ. And goodness knows we need it day by day. We need a way to resolve a guilty conscience day by day because most of us, I would hazard a guess that probably all of us encounter a guilty conscience for some thought, word, action, or deed on a daily basis. Okay, now, God took care of business and gave us a way to deal with a guilty conscience. That's exactly what the writer is talking to, to these Christians in Italy and some who are thinking about going back to the ritualistic system. He says, why would you do that when you have a full freedom of conscience in Christ? Okay. And he started with animal skins for Adam and Eve, went on to the Old Testament sacrificial system, and then he culminated the freedom that we can have from a guilty conscience with the cross of Jesus, which is what we'll get into here. Now, God wants us healthy people. He wants us healthy. He wants us to know that we're forgiven. And God wants us to have a clear conscience. Are you ready for this? All of the time. You say, that sounds too good to be true, but it's not. God wants us to have a clear conscience all of the time. I, I love this verse. I, I don't know how I found this, but 1 John three twenty one. Did that go up on the screen? Did I give that to the guys? Guess not. Well, I'll read it. 1 John three twenty one. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. God wants our hearts... Not to condemn us, but to have confidence towards him. He wants us to live in confidence with a clear conscience and to approach him freely. Did you come with that need today? Has something been under your skin? Has there been a burr under your spiritual saddle? 
that has just been rubbing raw against you? Did you say something? Did you do something? Have you thought something? Did you go somewhere? Did something happen that you have been wrestling with? Well, if you don't, or you haven't, you will. And it's good for us to know how to have a great, free, clear conscience. And so we're going to look at that today, because you came to the right place this morning, if that's what you want to know. The t- title again, The Power of a Clear Conscience. Number Three observations quickly we'll, we'll go through. One, the wrong blood type can never clear a guilty conscience. The wrong blood type can never clear a guilty conscience. Okay, now I read in verses 1 through 10 uh, about the wrong blood type for a guilty conscience, and I, I'm not going to go through these in detail. In fact, the writer even says in verse uh, 5, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. And so we're not going to. Could, we could do entire sermons on just the Old Testament tabernacle, but we're not. I'm just going to go through this so we can get to the resolution. But it says in verses 1 through 5 how the Old Testament tabernacle was set up. In verses 1 and 2, it says the first room after the outer court was called the holy place, and it contained the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. And then verses 3 through 5, we have the most holy place of the holy of holies that contained the golden altar of incense and the golden covered ark of the covenant, which contained the gold jar of manna. Aaron's staff that budded, and each of these represent things that we could go at length about. The stone tablets of the covenant above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover in verse 5. But again, the writer, you know, I thought to myself, well, if he doesn't want to talk about it a lot, I don't, I'm not going to either, you know. I mean, I, I don't really have a desire to do a sermon on a gold jar of manna, you know. I mean, I, I'm sure it has great significance symbolically, but There's some stuff ahead that I really want to get to. But we see in verses 6 through 10 that I read that human priests weren't capable of clearing a guilty conscience. The Old Testament priests. It says in verse 6 that the regular priests carried out their ministry in the outer room, in verse 6. And then in verse 7 it says, Only the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and only once a year with blood from an unblemished animal offered for himself and the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. What does that mean, in ignorance? Well, daily or as often as necessary, they would have a sacrifice, blood sacrifice offered for their sin. If they knew that they had sinned, they would take the sacrifice to the priest and it would be offered on their behalf. But this offering in the Holy of Holies by the high priest once a year was for the sins that they didn't know they committed. They committed them in ignorance. I think that would be really, really tough. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking all year, I wonder which ones I did that I don't know about. I wonder which ones. I can't wait till Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and takes care of all those ones that I did unknowingly. You say, how do you know about that? Because I did it. I lived that as a youngster. And once a year, we didn't have animal sacrifices, but we had Yom Kippur services. And I didn't know much as a youngster, but I knew that day was important to me. 
because I was sure that I had a lot of stuff that I had packed away that some God out there who, you know, wanted to get me needed to be atoned for. And at the end of that Yom Kippur service, the associate rabbi called the cantor would blow that shofar. Anybody hear a good shofar blowing? Oh my goodness, from the tip of top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you sent shivers down your spine. And I would say, whew, that's over. Thank you. I just remember that. But then I had a problem. Guess what the problem was? The problem was called tomorrow. <laughs> and then we started the cycle all over again. That's what was going on here. But verse 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit was showing that the full way into God's presence had not been offered because the first tabernacle was still functioning, illustrating the inability of the human gifts and offerings and animal sacrifices still being offered, that they were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. You want to meet someone that has a guilty conscience, just talk to Jewish people. And especially in that day. But verse 9 says something that would be replaced by the that the something that would be replaced by the new order of the new covenant. The new covenant would replace the old order. Because the blood of the old covenant couldn't permanently and day by day cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. See, animal sacrifices were not bad, but they were insufficient. They weren't sufficient. I I've always known that you can't make a blood transfusion with the wrong type of blood, right? Do we have any nurses here this morning? Any nurses? I know we have nurses in our church. Oh, good, then I can read this without being afraid, okay? If a patient receives a blood type that is incompatible, antibodies that the patient already has in his or her blood will attack the donor red cell blood cells and destroy them. This could cause fever, chills, chest or back pain, bleeding, increased heart rate, shortness of breath, rapid drop in blood pressure, and or kidney damage. This is called acute hemolytic reaction. Is that right? Okay, good so far. But if an emergency blood transfusion is needed and the recipient's blood type is not known, anyone can receive what kind of blood? O blood, o, type O blood. Type O blood, which has no antigen on its surface, will not react with antibodies in the recipient's plasma. Anyone with type O blood is called a universal donor. And guess what happened? The insufficient blood of animals, the, the nature of that blood that would not truly heal that person was replaced by the divine type O donor, Jesus Christ. The divine type, owner, type O donor, Jesus Christ. Sinful man needs a universal donor, okay, for a clear conscience, not just for salvation, which is obviously key, but for daily Christian living because we stub our toes spiritually at a regular rate. And we've got to know what kind of blood is going to act, bring healing to us. The blood. That's why we're doing this today. Great timing, by the way. That brings us to the second observation here. 
Because of Jesus, we can experience the liberating power of a clear conscience. Because of his blood, we can experience lasting forgiveness and the liberating power of a clear conscience regardless of our sin. And I don't say that in a cavalier manner, but we've all had things in our past. I have, and I know probably you have, both before we were saved and after we were saved. We're all in the same boat here. But because of Jesus and his power of his blood, we can experience lasting forgiveness through our salvation and not lose it, and day-by-day clearing of our conscience. Can I get an amen on this August 1st? Okay. That's pretty good for August. It, It really is. Verses 11 through 14 tell us about this. And I'm going to read these once again because they're so important. When Christ, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of, of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blo- excuse me, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more? And underlying all of these verses, he's saying, are you nuts that you're thinking about going back to traditional Judaism or anything else? How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, and we'll all say this word together, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. And I'm going to save that last little sentence for the final point. Verses 11 and 12, interestingly enough, starts where Jesus ended up after the cross and the resurrection. Okay? This is where he went after it was all over. Where he is now after his work on the cross for our sins was accomplished as our high priest. The good things, verses 12 and 14, are now already here because, I insert that, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, not a part of this creation. That is heaven, the right hand of the Father, in all the glory and the majesty of heaven that we could spend hours talking about. But we're going to sandwich these verses that I just read with two in Hebrews. Just quickly go back to chapter 8, verses... No, excuse me. Yes, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. The point of what we are saying in verse 8, 1 and 2 says, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Where, everybody? In heaven. And who serves in the sanctuary so that we have a clear conscience all the time upon our confession. And then go to, this is a real juicy one, and I'm going to be able to talk about it next week too. But note verse 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. 
now. That's where he is now. Pleading his blood with the scars that I don't understand how he could have those and be in his pre-incarnate glory, but that's what the Bible says. Now, now to appear, and I, I just love these two words, for us, for us in God's presence. Wow. And he, it says, well, I won't go on. I, I mean, I could just keep reading, but that's the one thing that Satan wants to blind you and I to. The absolute freedom and the clarity and the cleansing of our, of our minds and our consciences based on all that God did and that he's doing for us right now in heaven. Right now. So awesome. I love it. I, I had more scriptures. I always over-scripture. But I had a pile in Revelation. I'm not going to do it because I've got to be done here. And, and if you just for grins and giggles, just go, some, when you have a chance, go to Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Go to Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 12, and read of this mind-blowing atmosphere in heaven with the millions of angels and seraphim and cherubim and Christ called the Lamb of God. On, on the throne, and what's he doing? Serving us. <laughs> Saying, hey, you can have a clear conscience all the time based on what I did. And that tells us why. It just doesn't tell us where, but he says, why Jesus sacrificed for our sins and his entrance into heaven was perfect as opposed to what was accomplished by animal sacrifices. It's, per, it's, 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 it's perfect, it's effective because it's unlimited in its power. The blood of Christ is unlimited in its power. You know what happened to me? I got in a fight this week. You can, if you're close, you can see I got scars. or scar, I got blood. It ble, I bled here, 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 here. I bled here, here, here. I bled all, the pla- all over the place. I got in a fight with a peach tree. <laughs> we got a great peach tree. And it's, you know, have you ever seen the peaches when they're getting ripe and they weigh those branches down? If, you're not, if you don't prop those branches up, they're going to break. And we don't want to lose our peaches. And so Debbie and I are in there with two by fours trying to prop these branches up and I'm getting scraped. And I don't know how she gets away with not getting scraped, but I'm scraped all over the place. And we're propping these things up so that they'll get ripe and we can eat them. And the neighbors come pick them. We let them, and everybody enjoys them. Our kids come and get them. It's just my blood. It's all this. It's limited. My blood and a half a box of band-aids. That's all that happened. But Jesus' blood is unlimited, infinite, infinite in its value. Praise the Lord for him doing that for my sins, past, present, and future. Hallelujah. Let's look at these unlimited things. It says that he, 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 he atoned for our sins, verse 12, by his own blood. My goodness, he never had a beginning or an ending. He's God incarnate. And then it says it was once for all. Once for all time. And it says and he obtained eternal redemption. It's, it's infinite in time and in scope. If you came into this Church, today as a Christian, wondering if you're clean, you're clean forever. 
now because of his blood. I love Romans 5.20. I do. One of my faves in Romans. Romans 5.20, the law was added that trespass might increase, but when sin increased, grace increased all the more. You can't out-sin God's grace. You just can't. When you come humbly in repentance, saying, yeah, I did, I'm sorry. Bam, Christ on the throne with the thousands and millions of seraph and cherubim and angels and glory. Just the blood, it's, it's enough, instantly. It's eternal. No matter how Satan wants to taunt our conscience, Christ's blood is awesome. Verse 13 repeats. It just repeats the limited ability of animal sacrifices or any human way to appease through animal blood. But then verse 14, he comes around for a second go at it. Verse 14, again, the infinitely greater value of the blood of Christ. How much more, verse 14 says, his blood was offered through the eternal spirit. And I, I don't have time to go through the, 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 the awesomeness, but okay, let me put it in one word, you guys. The scope of his blood shed for our sins is eternal not finite. Eternal. And then it says in verse 14, he offered himself unblemished to God, and here comes the punchline of point two. Verse 14c. Okay, I'm going to go back to the, the actual verse here. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. Our consciences. That organ in our brain, or where, yeah, I guess it resides in our brain. That organ in our brain that Satan loves to roast on a spit. What's greater, Satan's lies or Jesus' blood? A clear conscience, a clean conscience, is one confession away. Again, you don't have to crawl on broken glass. And we don't need to let Satan manipulate us into a guilty lifestyle. The acts that lead to death are sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The acts that lead to death is sin. Jesus' blood cleanses our conscience from the sins that put a person to death without Christ. Okay? And again, our confession of those sins and our exercise of faith in what Jesus has done for us, that's all, through the power of his shed blood should set us free from a guilty conscience. What a wonderful thing. No, there are other things that help with our conscience. If we have done something to a person that God says is wrong, the Bible says that we need to ask forgiveness of them. And that does help clear the conscience. Likewise, if someone has done something against us that was wrong, we need to, before the Lord, we don't really necessarily need to go to them unless God's directing us, but we, before the Lord, need to forgive them. Forgiveness both ways helps clear the, the guilty conscience. But we have here 
the foundation of a clear conscience, the blood of Almighty God. And that takes us to the last point this morning. I'm excited about this, what I'm about to say. I really am, personally, as well as for you and me, and for our church, by the way. The results of a clear conscience are powerful. Really powerful. Look at the last little, the last little tail end of verse 14. So that we may serve the living God. Do you ever try to serve God with a really guilty conscience? It's so miserable. You know, it's not fun. Serving God should give us joy. But I'll tell you what. When we truly realize what Christ has done, it gives us the freedom and power to do all kinds of things. And I'm speaking as a pastor. When the Holy Spirit gives me a deeper insight into the effectiveness of the blood of Christ and my freedom of conscience, I love serving. I love people. I love serving. I love the Lord. And so do you. But when we're wrestling with things and Satan's got our tail tied up in a knot over what we did or what we're doing, and we haven't resolved that through confession based on the blood of Christ, Christian living is not what it ought to be. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, thank you, Jerry, for the announcement on our new pastor. Praying, I should say. That's been happening regularly. I thought, well, what can we pray for our new pastor? Well, we've got our sheet, and I use that sheet, and I preach, preach. I pray through that each section a day, so four times, and then four times through the week. But you know what I think we ought to pray for our new pastor? I think we ought to pray for our new pastor that he operates out of the power of a clear conscience in Christ. And this is why. All right? 14. What, hap- what is necessary for us to serve the living God. A clenched conscience. It doesn't say Bible degree. I didn't see that in there. I, I didn't see seminary degree. Not that those were bad, those were good. It doesn't say highly educated. It doesn't say highly gifted. It doesn't say strong abilities or talents. It doesn't say earning potential, physical appearance. It says the liberating truth, the liberating truth, and the emotional and spiritual release of a clear conscience before God, to know that enables us to serve the living God. That goes for all of us here today, doesn't it? I guess I'll just read because I wrote it down. Why does a, a clear conscience give us, and, and I'll put boldness and witnessing in there too, but why does the clarity of conscience before God, Almighty God, why does the non-existence of guilt before God set us free? Okay, here we go. Because when we are, we're liberated from slavish, the slavish fear of God. We're liberated from the slavery to human opinion. If we have a clear conscience, who, who cares what other people think? We're, we're, we're liberated from demonic accusation. 
we're liberated from self-condemnation. And we know that we have divine acceptance and that we're okay before God. That has dynamic repercussions for every area of our life. And you're going to be hearing this all through chapter 9 and really in chapter 10. And I've got a special message for those of you who are perfectionists in chapter 10. But this has dynamic repercussions for every aspect of human life. A cleansed conscience. Not just for salvation, praise the Lord, because these Jews needed to hear that, but for everyday life. Parenting. Being a good parent. Having a healthier marriage. Uh, having clearly defined and God-led career goals, uh, our work performance, our choices of friends, our ministry involvement and ability to, to minister effectively. What person being ministered to in a church doesn't want to be around a person who's doing the ministering who, ha- does, who has a clear conscience? Everybody wants to be around a person that has a clear conscience. It's attractive. And so we have it. The wrong blood type, animal blood, or any other kind of human endeavors can't create a clean, clear conscience. Only Jesus can give us, has the power, the unlimited power, to give us a clear and cleansed conscience through his infinitely powerful blood. And A cleansed conscience, a clear conscience, enables us to truly, effectively, fruitfully, wonderfully, willingly, willingly serve the Lord. As we all should. (coughs) So to you believers this morning, maybe you're a slave to guilt or to your past. Or you're prone to that kind of mindset. Or there may come a time when you slip, stub your toe, and do something you regret, and in moves the enemy. A clear conscience is a confession away. No sin is too great to be forgiven and cleansed by God. Just remember that, believer. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning or... I guess people are watching online still. I found that out this morning, or last night. People are watching. Hopefully we'll see them here when they can be here. But if you're an unbeliever, no more important thing in life than having forgiveness, and there is no more important thing in life than having forgiveness and a clear conscience before God. But it starts with salvation, doesn't it? It really does. You can't have a daily cleansing and clearing of your conscience without having your sins washed in the blood of the Lamb through faith. And you need to understand, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you have sinned. You have committed acts that lead to death that we heard about here earlier. Okay? You stand condemned by God on the basis of His perfect holy character and His perfect holy law. And you're eternally separated from Him and you're headed for a horrible place called hell that He doesn't want you to go, that He sent His Son to die so that you wouldn't have to go. But the good news is that Christ wonderfully paid for that sin on the cross with his faultless, unlimited, holy, perfect, eternally effective blood. And if you receive his forgiveness based on his shed blood for you by 
asking him to come into your heart and your life as the payment for your sin, and you repent of your sin and turn to him for forgiveness of sin and follow him, then you can live with a cleansed conscience today and, and throughout all eternity. And I hope that you'll do that. Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had washed, made a crimson stain. He washed it. What? White as snow. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that none of us in here today that know Jesus have surpassed the boundaries of grace. Because the blood of Jesus is all-powerful to cleanse whatever we've done outside of your will. Thank you for that promise that we have every moment of every day that we live until we go to be with you in that great place called heaven. And if there is a person here today or online that just is hungry for a new life, a new direction, a new freedom, may they understand that it's only a prayer and repentance and following Jesus away. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.